you're listening to Radio Maria England with me, Father Toby, and you join us for our word for today um, as we celebrate the great solemnity of the Epiphany. And let's begin with the, the gospel for this great feast from Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus had been born at Bethlehem in Judea during the reign of King Herod, some wise men came to Jerusalem from the east. Where is the infant king of the Jews, they asked. We saw his star as it rose and have come to do him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was perturbed, and so was the whole of Jerusalem. He called together all the chief priests and the scribes of the people and inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. At Bethlehem in Judea, they told him, for this is what the prophet wrote. And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, you are by no means least among the leaders of Judah, for out of you will come a leader who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men to see him privately. He asked them the exact date on which the star had appeared, and sent them on to Bethlehem. Go and find out all about the child, he said. And when you have found him, let me know, so that I too may go and do him homage. Having listened to what the king had to say, they set out. And there in front of them was the star they had seen rising. It went forward and halted over the place where the child was. The sight of the star filled them with delight, and going into the house they saw the child with his mother Mary, and falling to their knees, they did him homage. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. But they were warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, and return to their own country by a different way. As you'll have heard me say a few times lately, I'm going through a bit of a C.S. Lewis phase, or you might even call it craze. And so I want the take I want to uh, take on the epiphany today isn't as explicitly related to the three kings as you might have expected, but you'll get plenty of that in other homilies that you might have listened to on the radio today. My take is inspired by the wonderfully named Eustace Clarence Scrub. And he features in the third of the Narnia novels, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. Incidentally, it's comfortably my favourite so far. It's got everything you'd want a fantasy novel to have. Dragons, pirates, treasure, invisible people, good and evil, deep Christian meaning, and a heroic little mouse called Reapy Cheap. I want to look at an epiphany that occurs in this book, an epiphany in the other sense that we sometimes use the word, as a sudden realisation, a new way of seeing. And this happens in a most unexpected way in the life of the petulant, spoilt and self-centred Eustace Clarence Scrub. Although, as you say that name, you want to have a word with his parents and say, how could he ever have been anything but a menace with a name like that? Eustace Clarence Scrub. Eustace is a terrible person to have with you on a great and dangerous adventure. First, he's so wedded to his own ideas of how things are that he refuses to believe what is before his very eyes. 
And worse still, the whole world revolves around him, or at least in his head it does. No event, no happening is seen through any lens other than the one of how does this affect me and what I want. He is selfish because he cannot really see beyond his own self. Anyway, when the crew of the Dawn Treader arrive on an island after a severe storm and set about the repairs necessary to the boat, Eustace Clarence Scrub, and by now you might have gathered that I love saying that name, and I'll probably say it again before we're done, but Eustace goes off on a walk by himself to avoid having to do any of the work. And climbing up a hill, he comes across a pool, and he sees a dragon a very sick dragon, in fact, just about to die. And after the dragon dies by the pool, he goes inside its lair, steals some of its treasure, including a diamond bracelet which he puts around his arm, and goes to sleep. And when he wakes up, he is in some pain, and finds the bracelet very tight on his arm. And he also, much to his surprise and horror, finds himself with a dragon to the left of him and a dragon to the right of him, and he seeks to get out of the lair. However, on, exit on exiting, he realises that the dragon to the left of him was his left arm, and the dragon to the right of him was his right arm. For Eustace had become a dragon. But what's more remarkable, though, than his becoming a dragon is what happens next. Because contrary to what one might think, becoming a dragon actually makes him a whole lot less beastly. Moral transformation is in fact more surprising and much, much harder than physical and cosmetic transformation, which is why people spend so much money on the latter. It's much easier and much less costly, which is why, paradoxically, Billions get spent on it. I think we live in a world where very little money gets spent on the tough stuff. Perhaps because it's tough, and so it can't really be bought. Eustace's first reaction on realising that he is a dragon, despite the pain of the bracelet now too far too small for his enlarged dragon arms, is relief. Because he now has nothing to fear, and so can be a cause of terror to others. Eustace, it turns out, like most bullies, was in fact scared. And like most bullies who find themselves stronger than others, Eustace, now a dragon and so stronger than anyone else, thinks about getting his own back for perceived slights. I'll now hand over to Lewis, who writes, He was a terror, and nothing in the world but a knight, and not all of those, would dare to attack him. He could get even with Caspian and Edmund now. But the moment he thought this, he realised that he didn't want to. He wanted to be friends. He wanted to get back among humans and talk and laugh and share things. He realised that he was a monster cut off from the whole human race. An appalling loneliness came over him. He began to see that the others had not really been fiends after, after all. He began to wonder if he himself had been such a nice person as he always supposed. He longed for their voices. 
he would have been grateful for a kind word even from Reepicheep. When he thought of this, the poor dragon that had been Eustace lifted up its voice and wept, a powerful dragon crying its eyes out under the moon in a deserted valley is a sight and sound hardly to be imagined. And what struck me so powerfully in Lewis's narration was that, a, that the dragon's body that Eustace now inhabited was only really the manifestation of who he'd become on the inside already. It took this transformation of the flesh for Eustace Clarence Scrub to realise that he was, in fact, beastly. And only when he was a dragon could he recognise the humanity of those who had been around him. And it's striking that his first thought was not how to stop being a dragon, how to change his outward appearance. It was a desire to be surrounded by the voices of people who were good and to do human things with them like laugh and share. Eustace has a very real epiphany. Now, not all of us are going to turn into dragons, but please let me know if you do. I'd love to hear from you. Not about somebody else who you think is a dragon, only about you. Because Eustace's epiphany is one of self-knowledge, and it's only with greater self-knowledge that there comes greater knowledge about others. The sort of epiphany that Eustace has thrust upon him is the sort of epiphany that most of us have to be brave enough to embrace voluntarily. It's the sort of bravery I was speaking of yesterday when I spoke of the bravery to be seen as I am. Well, it also takes bravery to see myself as I am. I said I didn't want people to tell me about other people who have become dragons because the constant obsession with the faults of others, of how beastly they are, so often stops me from seeing what I have become. And as Lewis so often points out, it's only when I see that I am part dragon and want to be fully human that I realise my need for a saviour. And it's only when I realise this that I will join the Magi in what a priest friend, Father Dominic, told me earlier was one of his favourite lines from the entirety of the Gospels. Falling to their knees, humbly they did him homage. And when we do that, we can join in and sing, Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. Oh 
mortals join the 